are just tuning in and missed the top of Global News at 6 o'clock with Mr. Braun. Greg Mackling, what's the, the big story of this morning? Canada, along with the United States and Mexico, will host the FIFA World Cup of Men's Soccer in 2026. That means uh, three cities in Canada, Montreal, Toronto and Edmonton, are now eligible to host games as a part of that tournament, which is the most viewed television program of all time. The FIFA World Cup is the most popular uh, sporting event on the planet in terms of uh, television viewers, and it's by a substantial amount. So it's a huge thing for Canada to get this tournament. Unfortunately, no games will be coming to Winnipeg, but Edmonton in all likelihood a, a slam dunk to get at least three games as a part of this tournament. Uh, their stadium, uh, one of the best soccer stadiums in North America, can seat up to 60,000 people. It will be an incredible opportunity for folks in Manitoba to jump in their car and drive about 11 hours and get to a World Cup game. So uh, congratulations to uh, to the to the soccer and the football associations uh, in, involved in this. It's going to be a massive event for uh, for the, our country and for the continent. So what were the Canadian cities? Edmonton, Toronto? And Montreal. Montreal, okay. Why Edmonton? Because of their stadium. Commonwealth Stadium is just, it's an extraordinary uh, uh, facility. It was built in 1976, purpose-built essentially for the Commonwealth Games in 1976. Originally built with 42,000 seats. It's perfectly symmetrical. It's a gorgeous stadium. I don't know if you've been to Edmonton. I don't know if you've been there, I've been Brett. to Edmonton, but not to the stadium. Uh, it's just got incredible sight lines. And so uh, they've got a track around it, which is really its only downfall. It takes the stands a little bit further away from the field than what you get, say, at IGF. But with 60,000 capacity, they will have to put natural grass into that stadium over top of their of their uh, turf, so to speak, for these events. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do for Toronto because uh, BMO Field only holds about 30,000 people. That's where which, the Argos play. That's where the Argos play, and of course Toronto FC play there as well. And so I, at 30,000, it's not really a World Cup stadium. Could they play in the, what do, you, what do they call it now? Sky Rod- Dome, yeah. Rogers Centre. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think they're touting BMO Field, but I imagine that they'll be expanding it at least somewhat uh, temporarily or perhaps on a permanent basis. And uh, the Olympic Stadium in Montreal is kind of the wild card. Montreal is on the list as well of potential cities. Uh, Massive upgrades would be required at Olympic Stadium in order for it to be suitable. But uh, this is coming, and Canada, for the first time, will actually participate in the World Cup since 1986, providing they don't uh, qualify for the 2022 World Cup on their own merits uh, in Qatar. Why? Where would they play in Montreal? Big O. They would still play in the Big O. Big O. <laughs> <laughs> the Big O. Is that, yeah, is that thing still, uh, you know, does it, does it ever get used? Not really. With yeah. The odd concert. And by the way, the Commonwealth Games in Edmonton were in 78. Oh. The Olympic Games were in 76 in Montreal. Pardon me. How dare you? How dare I? So, okay, a couple of other questions then for you on this subject. You mentioned that soccer, the World Cup, is easily the, the biggest sporting event on earth. Uh I sort of have a, a vague understanding as to why, but uh, for those who are wondering, why soccer? 
I'll ask you that question. Well, Why FIFA, soccer? Well, it's televised. I was just looking this up to share this information with Jeff Braun, and it's over 200, uh, let's see here, 230 countries at <laughs> the World Cup. Uh, appears on television. It's just simply the most popular sport on the planet, bar none. Why do you think it's taken so long to really gain traction in North America? I know in the last decade or so it seems to be picking up steam, but uh, for the longest time, soccer was popular everywhere else in the world, but not so much here. More kids play soccer than play hockey in Canada. Yep. You know, so it's popular as a recreational sport. In terms of spectator sport, uh, for me... I played soccer a long time, like a lot of Canadian kids do. In terms of watching it, uh, we just the very best of soccer was only available to Canadians and North Americans on television f- every four years yeah. in the form of the World Cup. But now you've got the English Premier League, you've got the German and the Spanish League. Now you can watch all these things on television. And a lot and, of places host like early morning breakfasts correct, and stuff to correct. watch soccer. You got it. And uh, the proliferation, I, I, this is a big thing, video games mm. uh, has made uh, soccer or, or football more popular with young people as well. They know the players because they're playing with them on their video games. Uh, so uh, why it's taken so long, I think it's purely been access and the fact that, you know, Canadians' obsessions lie with, with hockey and Canadian football in the summertime, uh, but don't kid yourself, uh, the MS, MLS teams in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal are very, very popular, as popular in those markets, some may say even more so than the Canadian Football League teams in those markets. Does the World Cup have the right idea by going with these united bids where they're scattering the cup across a continent as opposed to a city. I think you know where I feel on this. Yes, I think this is a high time. You know, uh, Brazil burdened a big time by not only hosting the World Cup and then the Olympics two years later. Many of the stadiums were either temporarily built or have fallen to a massive state of disrepair. It's a huge economic uh imposition on these countries who who think that it's going to be a boon and it may be for a short period of time but I think the way to go is to go to countries where they have existing facilities they don't have to build stadiums from the ground up they may need to be modified they may need to be temporarily expanded or renovated but the idea of building you know 16 purpose-built stadiums uh, for hosting the World Cup I think that's something that that whose time has come and gone and uh, just one more question as well about the popularity of soccer. You mentioned kids get to play it. Really, is there a sport that is more accessible in terms of ease? I mean, really, all you need is a ball, and you can play just about anywhere. And kids do play it everywhere. They've got modified versions of soccer. They play in downtown in the center of fill in the largest cities in the world. They play it in courtyards. They play it on the street. They play it on sand. They play it on the beach. They play it everywhere. And yeah, that's really all you need is a ball. And sometimes these kids start without even playing with a traditional soccer ball. They make a homemade ball out of whatever they can get their hands on. If you ever, uh, if you ever get the opportunity to uh, watch documentaries on some of the great soccer players in the world, many of them started by not even ever playing with a, what was actually a, a leather soccer ball. Yeah, and I will admit, I am not, and I, I mean no offense to the fans of the footy, but I, for watching soccer on television, it's not really my thing. 
and listen, I like sports with offense. I'm a basketball guy. I like sports where there's lots of scoring. So when someone watches a game that goes nil-nil for basically the duration and then they say, that was exciting. I think, no, it wasn't. But I also don't understand, nor do I appreciate the nuances of the game. Plus, too, like, it's the pitch is so big, so when they're showing the action on the field, the guys are so small. It's when you get up close and you can see what they're really doing with their feet and you go... Wow, how how do they do that? How do they do all that stuff? So it's when you get in close, that's where you can really appreciate it. But the general view of watching them kick this ball around this monster field, for me, doesn't do it. But I also understand, particularly when it is, I mean, it's been, since I was a kid, I've always known soccer is the most popular sure. sport on the planet. I, th- I think you've got something there, though. I, I think when you look at the popularity of the NFL, uh, that's exploded in the last decade because of, well, three things, really, video games, gambling, and television. Uh, but the NFL's done everything that they could do to change the rules of the game to create more scoring. And people in North America like scoring, and I think that is maybe the the final stumbling block for a lot of people that would like to get into soccer and would like to watch it as they, you know, this idea of a one nothing game being exciting and somehow beautiful to watch. I think they have a hard time with that. The NHL faces the same sort of thing in the United States. Two, one, three, two games don't seem to seem to have the same appeal in the United States as maybe they do with a hockey purist, hockey pure fans in Canada who understand the perfect word you use, nuances of a close game, of a low scoring game in hockey the same way as uh, as someone that's new to the game and new to the sport. We'll have lots, I'm sure, on the World Cup throughout the day. Once again, Canada, U.S. and Mexico to host the 2026 World Cup. Brett, you know I'm always on my Twitter. Uh-huh. Addiction. The, the MPR raccoon. Have you heard about this? <laughs> yes, he's a daredevil. That's why we're playing this music. The closing theme song from the cartoon, The Raccoons. I love that cartoon. Yes. It was great. Yes, this raccoon got uh, removed from an apartment building in downtown St. Paul. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I guess they didn't really release him far enough away from buildings. I guess this guy is a daredevil. Yeah. And uh, proceeded to climb the U, is it the UBS building in downtown St. Paul? Yep. Yeah, well, he's safe and sound now, but let me tell you, did he ever cause quite the stir? If you'd like to relive and scroll through his Twitter timeline, someone actually, well... We're led to believe the raccoon himself actually had an iPhone or similar with him <laughs> on this adventure. You can follow him, the NPR raccoon, at the St. Paul Racco one. I guess the St. Paul raccoon had already been taken <laughs> as a Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah. I guess he's not the only one. So, uh, yeah, CNN uh, did a kind of a, a nice... Uh, compilation of of tweets and and the story you want to roll through it with us yeah he <laughs> this this raccoon like it, it's kind of it's not kind of it's scary because this is a straight up building and this right. raccoon scaled it like king kong and he made it so hopefully he gets down safely somehow well we've talked about brutalist uh forms of architecture in winnipeg before kind of like the public safety building right and where they they use clips 
to put chunks of concrete or limestone on the buildings as cladding. Yep. And it looks like this building, similar maybe to the Wawanisa building or some of these buildings downtown okay. that have more granular type concrete blocks clipped to them yep. as, a, as a facade. He was able to get his claws around the tiny little rocks and he went straight up 20, 25 floors, man. Yeah, and just looking at, at this Twitter feed, I do see that he's got a number of musical references including uh, your boys, Van Halen. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, telling uh, folks that, you know, um, controversial music opinion. Van Halen with Sammy Hagar was awesome. Don't at me, bro. Actually, do. I'm trying to distract myself from the horror. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So good for this little raccoon. Um, I mean, it's obviously a great story now because he made it and didn't fall. I remember watching the BBC Planet Earth 2, and they, they were, in the episode on cities, they did a little piece on a raccoon, a mother raccoon and her babies. They were perched uh, atop some building in Toronto, and then eventually she had to come down with the babies on her back, and it was a vertical scale down. Gee whiz. So yeah, the raccoons are resilient. Also, <laughs> if you want to follow, uh, uh, if you're looking to follow another social media raccoon on Instagram, yeah. Pumpkin the Raccoon always has some entertaining posts. There's, okay. uh, there's someone who adopted this raccoon and the raccoon hangs out with a dog. This is what I do on Instagram. They, they, the raccoon lives in the house with the yep, dog? Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, okay. Well, if you check out, uh, if yeah, you got to find a couple of these pictures uh, on your social media. The raccoon actually having a nap in a windowsill on the 23rd floor of this building in St. Paul. So we're glad that uh, the NPR raccoon is safe and sound. Uh, We'll let you know where he ends up, uh, well, I guess with his next tweet. So while there might be a raccoon lurking outside your window in your office building, there could be something lurking in your kitchen towels. A recent study from the University of Mauritius presented at the American Society for Microbiology annual meeting this week found that Depending on the size of a family, kitchen towels had the potential to cause food poisoning. Global Susan Hay wanted to find out more. I don't know if I do. I wanted to ask my colleagues a few of these simple questions. Let's talk about your bed sheets and your pillowcases. Okay. Uh, I change my bed sheets once a week, I'd say. Wash them kind of whenever I do laundry. Once a week. Once every two weeks. I have children, so I'm going to say I get around to it every two weeks. Our expert says in the summer months, you should be washing your bed sheets and pillowcases every week. In the cooler months, you can push those sheets to two weeks. Next up, towels. Uh, I would say once every two weeks. That is once every week. Bath towels are the ones you dry your hands with, right? No, your whole body. Oh, bath towels. are we talking Febreze, or are we actually like... We're talking, put it, in, put it into the washing machine with some soap. That sounds like a good idea. Once a week. You should be washing your bath towels once or twice a week. Make sure you air dry them after every use. It's also important to get good ventilation in your bathroom so air can circulate. So open that window or turn on your fan. But what about hand towels? No longer than a month. I can go anywhere from four to six weeks. Your hand towels now, just for your hand. During? When you go to the washroom, and now we wash our hands, we have to dry them with a? You should probably wash that one at, at least once every two days. With three children, so maybe twice a week. 
bathroom hand towel should be washed weekly. Your tea towel. So what is the tea? I don't drink tea. I just opt for paper towels. If it's getting really gross, no longer than a month. Those can get stanky. I'm going to say once a week. Kitchen or tea towels should be washed every one to two days because kitchen towels are used to dry hands and clean up spills. More bacteria forms on them. And last but not least, bras. Well, I know you're supposed to wash them after every wear, but I'm going to wash them every week. You wear them once, then you wash them. Our expert says we sweat more in the summer months, so bras should be cleaned more often. You should be washing them after two to three uses and be sure to leave each bra a day to breathe between wears. Susan, hey, Global News. I wash my sheets once a week. Good. The bath towels get washed once a week. Good. Did not know that the kitchen cloths and towels needed to be washed every couple of days. Mm. Uh, I try to, that's also everything. I mean, I do laundry once a week, so everything goes in once a week. So you should have at least five washcloths and five tea towels. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a nice store. We've got a nice store of them because I'm really freaky with that. And Jerry and I were both commenting during that story. It's like, hold on, you don't use a tea towel to clean up a spill. That's right. That's what the cloth is for. What's wrong with people? Well, how long did it take your parents to educate you on that fact? Uh, right off the bat, I think I think I could walk in there saying that's not used for cleaning up spills. That's used for drying stuff. That's right. Yeah, use the cloth to, to clean up wetness and then use the towel to dry it off. It sounds as though not everybody practices that. They are right, though. The, the, the kitchen cloth, if it doesn't get washed, oh, it gets really stank. It's disgusting. And I didn't figure this out for a while. When I used to live with a buddy of mine, yeah. he would use um, those like... Those little, those blue disposable ones, like that came oh, in a uh, roll, uh, uh, J cloth. Yeah, and uh, though, and uh, like, so I would make my food, and then I would clean up, and then I'd go downstairs and eat, and and I just think like I, I had everything kind of had this weird smell, and it took me months to figure out that the smell was what had transferred from the cloth to my hands. So ever since then, I'm really finicky about kitchen cloths. Yay. Yeah, it's just it because they get they get stinky, man. No, you gotta wash those things. Yeah, maybe I know what to get you for your birthday. More more nice, cloths. Nice tea towels. Nice uh, washcloths. I have many. You're good. You're no, all set. I'm good. All right. But maybe I need a couple more because I didn't know I had to do it once every couple of days. There you go. I don't see a lot. Of, I got. I don't do a lot in the kitchen though. <laughs> I don't. I don't cook a lot. So I'm. Surprised. I'm shocked. Yeah. In fact. I'm Greg. He's Brett, Chanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun. Joining us in studio now, the omnipresent behind the glass jury, always here. Would you willingly get sick for a big payout? Yep. <laughs> okay, lots well, of short conversation. <laughs> Guests can get paid close to here's a story out of St. Louis. Guests can get paid close to five grand to stay at a St. Louis hotel for up to twelve days with catered meals, as long as they sign up to be exposed to the flu virus. A St. Louis University research unit is testing the effectiveness of flu vaccines by paying volunteers to stay at its Salus Center. Participants will be given a flu shot or a placebo and then receive a dose of a flu virus through nasal spray. So we're talking, what would you do for five grand? So you might not even get the flu. You only have probably a 50-50 chance. 
of getting the flu under the the terms of this experiment. Shanna Lee, you've been battling a sickness for a month now, so uh, you'd probably jump all over this chance. Actually, no, I wouldn't. I, no? I, I don't. Being sick is, is certainly not fun, so I'm not going to go willingly make myself sick. I mean, it is a lot of money. It's 50-50 chance of getting sick. That's true, but still 50-50 at that 50-50 chance that I could get the flu and get sick. And who knows how long I'm going to be sick for and uh, what kind of quality of life I'm going to have. So yeah, I with, would decline. With, with your track record, SLV, I'm betting it's 50 the bad way. Well, you see, so I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm would, uh, let's, I would graciously let someone else take my yes, spot. Yeah, I know. Well, what would you do for five grand? You know, I was thinking about this and. You know what? I don't think there's a lot I would do. And I'm, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking back. Do you remember the show uh, Fear Factor? Yes. And people used to do like they would maybe like you know, um, uh, jump down buildings and eat bugs and stuff. And I think they'd have to like you know get it down. I was thinking, you know, could I could I eat like a cockroach for uh, five thousand dollars? You know, I saw my first cockroach in Hawaii actually. Mm. And never so seen one before. Would you, you eat it? Would you nosh on it for five k? No. I would no. I, I Kelly five k to nosh on a cockroach. I probably would go for that. Yeah, I I can eat a lot of things, so uh, probably if I had a little pot of chocolate to dip it into. No, though, no, no, be, no, 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 no. Oh, no, it's got to be raw. Yeah, be and no living. Oh, living. Oh, geez. Well, not for five thousand dollars. Not no. for five. No. Brett, five. Yeah, sure. Five thousand bucks, no problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they, just uh, so we know, it's uh, for this hotel influenza. It's thirty five hundred bucks U.S. <laughs> Uh, so forty five fifty, I think Canadian uh, to be precise. But even for forty five fifty Canadian, I'd be I'd happily eat the the cockroach. Why not? That that'd pay off some uh, some bills. Absolutely, it would. Brett, now now Brett, I would, but this is a true story. When I was seventeen, I was a very picky eater as a kid, yeah. and uh, the thing I hated the most was sour cream. And my grandma put a hundred dollar bill on the table and took a, a spoonful of sour cream. She said, "Eat the spoonful, you get the hundred bucks," and I wouldn't do it. Really? Yeah. And my sister just starts freaking out. I'll do it. I'll do it. My grandma's like, I know you'll do it. This doesn't include you. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? 17. You know how much 100 bucks is to a 17-year-old? Yeah, it's what? like five tanks of gas back then. Oh, what that could did, have been a racy night in Altona. Oh, man. Did sour cream make you sick? I don't know because I've never tried it. <laughs> you still haven't tried no, it? No, I tried it last year for the first time and I did not care for it. I was, so, I was right all along. How did you know you didn't like it? Because it just looks gross. And it was sour. Yeah, that sour cream. That's what does it come from? Like a crazy cow or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, it's just angry. It's okay, just not angry. Mad cow disease. What if the sour cream. cream is mixed in, like with onion? You know, the uh, onion I don't soup. I need dips and soups and whatever. No, I've always wondered the, the great o- the great oxymoron about sour cream is why do they have to put an expiry date on sour cream? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hasn't it already expired? What is what is sour cream? Is it like expired yogurt or what is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the thing I thought I knew about dairy products just went out the window. <laughs> Jerry, what would you do for 5K? I don't know. I think I think uh, someone would have to give me an offer. Say, would you do this for five grand? I I I'd consider. I can't think of anything offhand that I would say. Hey, you know what? I'd do that for 5K because then people would be like, all right, here's 5K. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a, it's hard to come up with something. Well, what would you do for five k? Yeah, know. if it was something extreme, like would you like getting sick is one thing, but if you're subjecting yourself to actual pain, for example, 
Um, I don't think I'd like I'd, slam your hand in a car door. Would you do yeah, that for 5K? Oh. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think that's where I, I would really have to draw the line. And uh, if I were to consider it, the monetary v- would have to be like <laughs> life changing. You know, give me ten million dollars and maybe uh, I'll play along with that game. But for five thousand bucks, I'll get sick for a week. Whatever. Could Sky I done? put a question in this day and age? That's, What's that? Could you? Uh, would you go f- without your cell phone for a week? For five thousand dollars, easy. I go for a month without it, for five oh, yeah. grand. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Not maybe a penny it's less. the wrong. Maybe it's the the slightly wrong demographic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there would be times where I would feel lost without it, but I know that anytime I put it down or leave it in the other room and just walk away from it, I just feel so relieved freedom. that it's not there. Yeah, it really freedom. is freedom. It's it's a, it's a monkey on the back. It's like Field of Dreams. Go the distance. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the phone. It would be the best. Yeah. Um, can we? Is there a roller derby question that we can ask, Shanalee? What uh, if you someone offered you five thousand uh, dollars? Would you would you take a run at uh, somebody? <laughs> take a run like like hit them? Yeah, yeah, like a portage and maim. Would you go like right at head to head with portage and maim? One I, off. One on one battle. I. N- no, because I'd probably lose. <laughs> no way. No way. Even for five grand. You know, I don't think five grand would be enough to pay for all of my pain and suffering and broken bones. Okay, so you, you'd seek thrills. You would eat kind of gross things. That is that where you draw the line? Uh, yeah, I, you know what? There's not much I would do. I'm pretty lazy. It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Behind the glass, Jerry playing the jam. Because there was a big traffic jam downtown yesterday. Uh, before we do that, Jeff yes. Courier takes a phone call in the newsroom about 10 minutes ago. Okay. Says they spotted a gas station at mm-hmm. St. Anne and Nova Vista. Right. Or should I say, at Nova Vista! Just feel like channeling some Franco Stanza there. We're going to Del Boca Vista! Are you trying to keep us out of Del Boca Vista? Uh, and the price is posted at two twenty eight nine. Great. I think that's a mistake. Bet you people are lined up to buy gas there. I hope it's a mistake. Two twenty eight nine. I know I've seen it. It's up to back up to one twenty eight nine in a lot of places after the relative bargain it was for at one twenty two nine for the last few days. Yeah. So traffic yesterday afternoon downtown was brutal. One that makes me thankful that we don't have to drive through downtown generally during rush hour. There's one benefit to this shift. That's one of the big ones, right? Not having to deal with traffic. Number of problems. Listening to 680 CJOB traffic yesterday during the news with uh, Christian O'Malley for Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Matt Aber referred to a number of things like this lane closure on eastbound Provence causing major slowdowns. It's closed from Langevin to... Demeron or Desmurons. <laughs> so that's backing traffic up to Main Street. Right. Main Street southbound was backed up from Portage to Dufferin. Oh, Lord. Partly because of that backup oh. from Provence, because of all the people who want to turn left onto Provence or to get to Provence. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there was a crash on Portage eastbound just east of Main Street. So that was also uh, creating some issues. You also have a situation on Waterfront Drive where you can only go north on Waterfront Drive. Yes. You can't go south. So that's. You know, that's a shortcut for a lot of people that's eliminated right now. Yeah, because you, you have to turn off, I think, either at Pacific or James. 
and then sort of loop your snake your way through the East Exchange. Correct. Uh, and then there was also another situation near our colleagues at Global TV. They're housed in 201 Portage at the corner of Portage and Main, and there's this big parkade right behind there in Albert. How many people park in there, you think? I'm guessing 400 minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine them all trying to get out around the same time. <laughs> Kidding's probably crazy at the best of times. And there's construction there. Albert at Notre Dame has been made into uh, one way going southbound to Notre Dame because of that construction, because the right side lane has been torn up right in front of the St. Charles Hotel, so that leaves only the one lane to get out onto Notre Dame. That's not a controlled intersection, so the drivers trying to get out from Albert have to rely on friendly Manitobans, <laughs> says it right on the plate, to let them in. Why do you lie like that? <laughs> <laughs> you know that changes once we get behind the wheel. Yeah, well, Global, Global's Nolan Cole set up shop outside that parkade and spoke to a number of frustrated Winnipeggers trying to deal with the traffic mayhem. It's been a long experience, uh, a long wait in the parkade. I've been, uh, I left at about 4 o'clock. It's now 5.03. I just got out. Pretty excited. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of problems going out in the city, construction and stuff like that. So I'm not too worried about it. I just uh, like to get home and pick up the kids. Pretty crazy though, just like this traffic. Yeah, it's, I, I've never seen it like this. This is, uh, this is certainly new. Speaking of traffic, we just got a note that Highway 59 North, there is a large house moving north, just approaching East Selkirk, and it's very slow. I hope it's on wheels, at the very least. That would be really neat if it wasn't, though. It would be. That would be a news story. That wouldn't be a traffic story. Yeah. <laughs> the Transformers have invaded. Uh, Nolan next spotted this woman, Kyla Betker, getting out of a cab to walk. Oh, we my. about three lights in a row, and so then I thought that I would get out and walk because I probably would make it faster than with all the construction and traffic. So normally that cab would have taken you right to the front door? Yeah. And instead, you had to walk. How far do you get to walk to where you got to go? Probably about seven blocks. Going to work. Going back to work. I was at an appointment. So that's like a huge inconvenience. It is. Yeah. The cab driver was great, but it's a little out of control with the traffic. The construction's a big issue. And this next woman simply admitted defeat. So you were just telling me that you park in this garage here? Yes. And what was your experience trying to leave here? <laughs> I, I, let, I just parked on level three because uh, I park on level four, it took me half an hour to go one level, and I gave up. So you're just gonna wait out the traffic here? I got no choice. It's either that or sit in my car and waste gas. I, I, I'm getting uh, called over by tenants and everything, like I work for the management company, the owners of the building, and I'm getting called over by tenants. Uh, one of them just called me, or somebody just told me earlier that it took them an hour to get out of the parkade. What do, you, what do you think of the city? Like, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's a contractor, of course, but I mean, the city planning all this in this one short little area. <laughs> it's frustrating. <laughs> I've never seen the construction this bad around here, never. Now, looking at Nolan's footage this morning, eventually it does show that traffic is being directed. Uh, someone in the bright yellow suit and vest with the sign going out to stop traffic on Notre Dame to let people out from Albert. Worth noting, I'm not sure if that only started later on or if it was happening the whole time. Mm. Couldn't tell from the footage. Uh, eventually, Nolan made his way inside the parkade. <laughs> he spoke to this guy who was, uh, let's just say he was beyond frustrated. How long have you been here? You mean waiting to get out of here? Well, I actually went back to work for an hour so I could not have to stay in line too long. It's been a real <laughs> off. 
So, needless to say, you're not happy about all this construction. I'm not very happy at all, man. So, what do you think about two hours? At least, at least two hours. I, I get off around 4:15. I was gonna go somewhere and pick something up, and I couldn't do it. I had to wait. I went up to my floor, and the lineup was like a big snake. I said, screw it, man. I'll go back to work. <laughs> so, again, this is uh, Albert and Notre Dame, people trying to get out of the parkade. They're having a hard time because it's down to one lane in Albert because the road is torn up by the St. Charles Hotel, and they're having to wait an hour just to get out of the parkade. And, listen, I know we got to do construction and we have to do all that, but this is sounds like this is an example where maybe some better planning ahead of time would would help because you want to get people to go downtown you want them to work downtown you want them to live downtown well you got to make it easy for them to get around downtown yeah you have to make accommodations even in the worst of times we got a text message imagine what will happen when portage and maine is open to pedestrians eh, i might add to this for sure uh thanks for making me grateful for the 2:45 a.m alarm brett we're Almost exactly 36 hours away from kickoff of the 2018 CFL season, depending on the amount of pomp and circumstance down at IGF. The Blue Bombers, of course, hosting the Edmonton Eskimos, a rematch of last year's Western Conference semifinal. We don't want to relive that game necessarily, but to gear up for the game and tell us what's new this season from a fan perspective, joined in studio by the Winnipeg Football Club president and CEO Wade Miller. And a happy belated to you, sir. Missed your birthday a couple days ago. Thank you. uh, Great to see you as always. What can fans expect in terms of fan experience what uh, new things have you got in store for us at IGF? Yeah, I think uh, if we start start with our park and ride, uh, the one big change is in the Southdale area. It goes from the co-op station, the park and ride, uh, back to St. Vitale Mall. So by the Hudson Bay location, uh, you can uh, the park and ride's moved. Uh, they're resurfacing that lot at the co-op. So our friends at St. Vitale Mall were gracious enough to uh, make sure that our fans uh, had an easy way to the game for the park and ride. That's one of the most popular ones. So um, very important to uh, make sure that you go to St. Vitale. <laughs> uh, if you go to the co-op, uh, there may not be anybody there to pick you up. So uh, And no lot even. So, uh, so that's the first one. Then our tailgate area opens at 530 uh, like it has every year uh, and two two new additions uh, we've got some new inflatables for the kids and you you two could actually go on the big slide that we have for that so oh, I mean, yeah, it yeah. must be very large it is uh, very large uh, so um, you know opportunities for the kids as there always has been in the pregame tailgate area and then on the stage uh, starting at 530 we have the St. Beach Boys playing from 530 to 615 and then Brody Lawson from uh, the the uh, CFL is is on stage interviewing the Rec Laws who are playing at halftime. Uh, so this year we're really focused on adding a concert series at halftime. So we have bands playing at halftime. And then when you enter the stadium this year, um, you know we have a few different options and concessions. Uh, chicken and waffles this year. Oh. Nice. Yeah. So some chicken and waffles. You didn't bring us any of that, Wade. No, I didn't bring Shame you any. On you. No, Shame our on chef you. is busy. So <laughs> fair uh, enough. Yeah. So chicken and waffles, and then some specialty burgers this year, and then uh, a new partnership with uh, Jim Beam. Um, and tomorrow happens to be National Bourbon Day. So uh, the first ten thousand people that come in will. Uh, well, I guess 9,098 because I, <laughs> I gave you each a towel. Don't so worry, I'll make sure these get into good fans' hands, Yeah, Wade. there'll be some rally towels with the Jim Beam logo on it. 
Uh, we also have towels for the kids too that don't have the Jim Beam on it. Very nice. Uh, so, and then you also notice in the in the south end a Jim Beam Stillhouse. Uh, so we've added uh, beside the rum hut another area for uh, for the adult playground, and then over in the kids section in the north side the Peggy family area, uh, we have uh, you know mini donuts added back in there and lemonade. So you know and and really worked on freeing up the concourse again like we do every year. So uh, the, those are the things you're going to see new, and then you're going to see exciting football team on the field. Now I just tried shawarma for the first time. Sure. In the last couple of weeks, love it. Is it true that TraumaCon is also expanded this year? Yes, we, uh, you know, they just uh, they were part of our big traffic jam on the concourse, so we moved them into the south end. They have their own concession now, uh, so they they have a lot of room down there. And then you can also get ShawarmaCon at the 200 level as well on each side. So yeah, so Avi and his uh, group there is. Uh, Expanded, and uh, you know that's uh, quite the cult following that he's building for himself. Well, without question, and you know, I've always said that that's been the key to the success of the football club over the decades. I've been a fan, and following the team has been that accessibility, that connection to community. You know, James Murphy lives down the street from me now, and you know, I never would have imagined uh, being in a situation where that would be the case. I was Bobby Cameron's um, yeah. paper boy once upon a time, and you know, so everybody has a story. Like like that in Winnipeg, a connection to a blue bomber. And and I think, you know, it's really highlighted in the fact that here you got a former player running the club and in yourself and another former blue bomber. So, so integral in terms of the concession and still part of uh, really the, the face of that community interaction, Wade. No, absolutely. Our bomber alumni are fantastic. Uh, you know, there's two every game that are out in the tailgate area to sign autographs. Uh, and then they host different areas in the stadium as well. So we're we're fortunate to have a great uh, alumni, and, you know, the best in the CFL. So it it only goes with having the best fans in the CFL too. Got to ask you about soccer for a moment while you're here. Uh, I was at the Bomber Store tent sale on Friday on location. Tried to buy a Bomber hat, but I've got a thick skull, so I couldn't find one that fit. Uh, so I feel kind of bad wearing my Winnipeg Thunder hat uh, when, when uh, the Bombers come to visit. But the Valor FC stuff that you had on display, I picked up a couple of those T-shirts, and they were they were a very popular item. With the World Cup announcement this morning, the United yep. bid from Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. going to host 2026. That's got to be great news for uh, Valor FC. Yeah, exciting times for Valor FC for sure. Uh, the merchandise has been flying off the shelves. It's uh, you know obviously getting that bid is good, and and part of part of the reason that the entire league, the Canadian Premier League, starting is to get Canadians and to get the men's team back to the World Cup. Now we have something to strive for. Um, so, so that's the great opportunity uh, ahead of Canada soccer and the Canadian Premier League and Valor FC. So we're excited by that. We'll announce our head coach in the next 30 days. Um, memberships for that just continue to uh, keep growing, and we're outpacing every other city, which, of course, we knew we would because we're Manitobans and Winnipeggers who support our sports teams. So just as... Uh We've worked out so many of the logistics in terms of getting to and from the stadium. Uh, we've got this summer of discontent as it pertains to road construction to the point where you're really 
you yeah. know, encouraging fans to think about how they're going to get to the game and plan out their route accordingly, Wade, because you don't want to miss anything, No, you right? don't. And, uh, you know, un- unfortunately for the last five years, every time you come to the stadium, it's a different road work that's going on. So uh, our fans are resilient. Uh, too bad they have to be, but they are. Uh, and they'll find a way to the stadium. And, and with the opening of the Rapid Transit's terminal last year, parking on campus is extremely easy now as well. Two different price points, twenty and ten dollars, uh, and and the big pregame tailgate area, the blue and gold stage. You know, come down early because and, and there's great meals out in the tailgate area. We added a Lux barbecue smoker, so you can actually get brisket out there and ribs this year. And, you know, hamburgers, hot dogs. So just come out early, enjoy the entire experience of game day, which starts at five thirty, two hours before the game starts, um, and, and and avoid that traffic and and. You know, it, it's one day all the construction in southwest Winnipeg <laughs> will be done. You're looking to the heavens yeah, as you say just, that, Wade. Because <laughs> it, it never fails. The week of the home opener, there's some new uh, project started. Well, it will be exciting once that whole rapid transit corridor is accessible as well. Exciting times, Wade. Uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, later on this morning uh, about Chris Trevler getting his first start. That's exciting as well in in the eyes of the storm and, and in terms of, you know, you'd prefer to have Matt Neckles in there, but it would obviously be very exciting to to see Strevler come out and uh, get a win in his uh, very first start. We always appreciate your time, Wade. Best of luck on the season. We'll be talking to you lots over the next 20 weeks or so. Great. Thank you. Wade Miller, President and CEO of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Once again, the season begins tomorrow night at Investors Group Field, Edmonton in town. What time does the pregame start? 5.30 here on 680 CJOB, 7.35 thereabouts kickoff. And uh, we'll be looking forward to an exciting night down at IGF. And the pregame has uh, the pregame area for Bob and the broadcast booth has moved to the tailgate That's area. That's right. We're right? going to be down in the tailgate area, so even more of you can come down and say hi. Uh, I'm going to make sure Bob and Doug have Sharpies so they can uh, sign lots of autographs. This song was this the theme of the last World Cup or the one before that behind the glass, Jerry? The one before that. That's right. And what's the guy's name? Canon. Can Canadian? Yes, he is. That's right, Canon. Very good. Was that in uh, South Africa? Right. Yes. Went South Africa, oh. to Brazil, and then of course the World Cup starts tomorrow in Russia. South Africa was the one where the Vuvuzela oh, was the everywhere, Vuvuzela right? Vuvuzela was annoying the heck out of everyone. <laughs> you could stand outside during those games and you could hear the annoying sound all the way across the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean. It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. It's horrible. <laughs> Just horrible. But the reason why Jerry's playing that, of course, big news this morning. Those are not mosquitoes. Those are not bees. That is a band of Vuvuzela. <laughs> Well done, Jerry. Well done. Yeah, what's the big news this morning, Greg? Canada, Mexico, and the United States have been chosen over Morocco to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. If you missed that off the top of the news at 8 o'clock with Jeff Braun, the announcement means it's the first time North America, at least as a group, will host one of the world's largest sporting events. Of course, the United States did host the World Cup of Soccer uh, on their own uh, about two decades ago. 
I think I stayed in a Morocco-themed room at Mariagi's Theme Suite Hotel like 20 years ago. I won't ask details about that. Three Canadian (laughs) venues will be part of the World Cup, Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto. The two rival bids each got 15 minutes to make one last pitch today with the North American bid going first, and Canada turned teenage Vancouver Whitecaps star Alfonso Davies to open its presentation. Good afternoon. Bonjour. It's a great honor to speak to you today. My name is Alfonso Davies. My parents are from Liberia and fled the Civil War. I was born in Ghana in a refugee camp. It was a hard life. But when I was five years old, a country called Canada welcomed us in. And the boys on the football team made me feel at home. Today, I am 17 years old and I play for the men's national team. And I'm a proud Canadian citizen. And my dream is to someday compete in the World Cup. Maybe even in my hometown of Edmonton. I played matches in Canada, Mexico, and the United States. The people of North America have always welcomed me. If given the opportunity, I know they'll welcome you. Thank you. The 2026 World Cup has 48 teams playing a total of 80 games. Most number of teams, most number of games ever. 60 planned across 10 U.S. cities and 10 games in three cities for each of the Canadian cities mentioned, as well as three cities in Mexico. Since host countries are automatically in the tournament, a win for the United bid would ensure that the Canadian men's soccer team would be playing in the World Cup. Really? Yeah. So we're in. We're in like Flynn. Hey, even if it's the default, we're in. We're in. That's exciting. So Alfonso Davies' dream could absolutely come true. Should he be a member? Should he be a member of the Canada's national men's team in 2026? Now, after the big announcement, FIFA president Gianni Infantino was asked if he's concerned about (laughs) any political interference from leaders from the United Bid countries. Concern. I'm not concerned about anything. I'm not concerned about any uh, political interference of anyone. I think we have, uh, I think we have uh, provided uh, with our procedure the opportunity for all our members to make up their own mind uh, based on facts, based on figures, based on reports, based on bid books. And uh, from that point of view, I'm very happy how the process went. Let me also add that compared to what happened maybe in the past for Olympic Games or for World Cups or for even European Championships, well, we didn't, I didn't see here uh, so many uh, heads of state or whatever trying to lobby uh, for, for their country. So I think this shows that at the end of the day, what we wanted to achieve, which is, you know, let's look at these bits in a serious way, let's screen them, let's bring the result. This is the right way forward. But you don't tolerate political interference. So are you worried about Mr. Trump, who may try to do what he wants, regardless of FIFA's rules? I'm not worried about anything. At the least, I'm worried about, uh, about uh, the President of the United States, or of Mexico, or Canada, uh, Prime Minister, or anyone else. don't think else. you'll try and take over? I think the question was answered. <laughs> I don't think anyone tries to take over FIFA. FIFA belongs to football and to the members of FIFA. FIFA president Gianni Infantino. So, once again, the United bid. Canada, Mexico, the United States to host the 2026 World Cup, defeating 
Morocco to win the bid. Very exciting for soccer fans. And uh, given that it is in North America, there won't be any sort of weird hours where you can go to places like the King's Head or something to watch soccer. I know the last time the World Cup was on, or maybe it was the time before that, there was uh, there were all sorts of places that were opening up early or staying up or staying open super late for that. But uh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting. When is when uh, is the 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 World Cup? By the way, when does that start? Uh... Starts tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken. Russia plays Saudi Arabia in the first game. So yeah, we're we're about to get going here. Right on in 2018. It's going to be a crazy month without question. Looking Lots of people looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing the various flags sticking out of people's yes. cars. Yes, it's a it's a blast. I, I think you mentioned the fact that the Kings had to probably be open for 24 hours a day over the next little while to accommodate all the fans of the different countries and of course the different fantastic little cafes and stuff and community organizations will be hosting stuff. Mackling and McGarry on CJOB. Yesterday, Health Canada published the results of the 2016-2017 Canadian Student Tobacco, Alcohol and Drug Survey. Among the results, the survey found that the prevalence among Canadian students of high-risk drinking behaviour has stayed uh, the same as the past survey from two years ago at 24%. But there was a 4% increase in students reporting that they drank at least once over the past year, which is at... 44%. So we wanted to reach out to an expert to get some advice on how to talk to your kids about alcohol. And we're joined by from someone from the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction, Dr. Catherine Parody. Uh, doctor, good morning to you. And by the way, we usually try to confirm the pronunciation of the name before we get you on the air, but we didn't have time. Did I get your last name correct? <laughs> Catherine Paradis, thank you very much. It was close enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Paradis. Um, so, Doctor, the, the first question I want to ask you, and I, I don't mean this to sound dismissive, but why do we need to do reports on students and alcohol? Because as long as I've been around, kids kids are going to drink. So what are we trying to, to learn from these? Well, kids are going to learn, but what we know now is that when they when they do drink, they put themselves at at a very high risk of of negative consequences. And the thing that we know now that we didn't know when you and I were in school um, is that um, is that we now know that the, the teenager brain is extremely vulnerable uh, to the toxic effects of alcohol. Um, young people's brain. Um, uh, is in a phase where, where where it has great plasticity, and so drinking can be particularly dangerous for them. And and I mean, we're talking here about students, so argue, arguably people um, for whom cognitive and learning abilities uh, are important. So I, I think that these results are showing that that we we need to to develop an appropriate response uh, to prevent harm to youth because they are harming themselves. We have conversations in school and had when I was in junior high, and I'm sure when Brett was, and I'm sure when you did, doctor, uh, attend uh, junior high, have these conversations about the effects of alcohol, smoking, and drug use. But I think what I'm hearing you say is we know more now than we did then about the effects of alcohol on the brain and also this idea of high-risk drinking behavior. We're kind of creating a new category to look at here. Is that safe to say? 
Yeah, that's what it is. And also, you know, we because alcohol has been there for so long, we, we we tend to treat it as something very normal, you know. And young people often see alcohol consumption as a normal behavior. But drinking is not always a, a trivial social act, especially among youth. And just to give you an example, we, we did a, a recent study in, in the province where I am in Quebec, where we found that seven minors per day are brought to the emergency department from an for an alcohol-related medical emergency. That is not trivial. And, and, and when you get to the emergency department for acute alcohol intoxication, I mean, it's not just a prelude to a bad hangover. A quarter of those kids had their lives in dangers, and 57% had complications. Um, so, so it is a, a rather serious situation that we need to take a look at. Well, and another thing, too, that we've seen in recent years is these uh, some alcohol challenges that are Internet related, whether it's on YouTube or social media or whatever, where these people are challenging each other to down an entire bottle of liquor in one shot. Absolutely. And you just mentioned the word liquor. And that's the other thing that we know is that compared to younger adults, for example, teenagers are much more likely to drink liquor in spirits. Um, uh, Again, in a study that we recently did, we found that 52% of teenagers were getting high on liquor rather than about a third of young adults. And, and what we find is that the youngest drinkers are unaware that while beverages with high alcohol content are much easier to consume quickly, such as in challenge that you just mentioned, doing so can be extremely dangerous. You know, we've had cases of, 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 of young teenagers dying after consuming uh, beverages with high alcohol content. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be uh, uh, over dramatizing here, but, but on the other hand, I, I, I think we've not been taking this seriously enough and and we need to educate our youth about about the risk of consuming more alcohol than 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 what is recommended in low risk drinking guidelines and the risk of severe alcohol intoxication from drunk drinking products with high alcohol content Dr. Catherine Paradis is uh, with the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction. She joins us now. And, uh, Doctor, if our attempt to educate our kids on the, on the downfalls of alcohol is failing, how are we doing on educating our kids with regard to tobacco use? Um, I'm not the the, the tobacco specialist, but what I see from the race over there is that we did manage to reduce the prevalence rate of of, of smoking. Uh, Another result that was interesting in that study is that youth find it easier or put put it differently, more difficult to to get access to tobacco than alcohol. 62% of our youth in Canada are saying now that, you know, they could fairly easily get access to tobacco, but 69% say that they can easily access alcohol. So that's another surprising result. But, but I think that all the policies and regulations we've put into place to reduce uh, smoking seems to be working uh, among our youth. We're doing much better on this front. And as far as the one more question about the drinking as well, when we say that uh, the survey found that the prevalence of students doing high-risk drinking behavior has has stayed. Uh, this is the past survey from two years ago at 24%. When we talk about high-risk behavior, is that just one thing, or is there sort of a clump of behaviors that they're engaging in? Um, in this survey, high-risk drinking was defined as taking five drinks or more in one occasion, 
What I was rather surprised is that the definition is exactly the same for male and females in that survey, um, and that the uh, the prevalence rate of high-risk drinking was also about the same for male and females. So that means that we have a quarter of young girls who are taking five drinks at a time uh, in one occasion. And, I mean, it's not sexist. It's pure biology. Um, uh, women um, uh, it, it take longer time to metabolize alcohol. So five drinks for, for a young girl is, is more dangerous than for a young boy. And also we all know, sadly, the risk of um, uh, when, when intoxicated young ladies put themselves at risk of, of sexual abuse. And that's something we need to be looking at also. How do we talk to our kids about this, doctor? How do we reduce uh, these numbers and how do we do it responsibly? I mean, fear-mongering uh, doesn't work. How, what approach should we be taking here? Any advice? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that the first thing, my, my uh, research showed that young people are, are, do not really understand the concept of a standard drink, that there's, there's the same amount of alcohol in a shooter than there is in a, in a beard. You know, I once heard said saying, oh, guys are crazy. They're going to parties with a six pack. Girls are just bringing one bottle of vodka. Well, oh in my. one bottle of vodka, yeah, in one bottle of vodka, you have the equivalent of 40 beers. So, I mean, we really need to educate our youth about the concept of a standard drink. Uh, please go to our the CCSA website if you're a parent and you would like to learn more yourself about that to educate your youth. Please do so. And we really need to educate uh, our young people about the risk of severe alcohol intoxication from consuming higher alcohol content spirits. Uh, and mixed drinks. They need, you know, please go to the liquor store with your youth and show them uh, how to recognize those high-risk products. And I mean, if, if you know, I understand that we're not going to stop youth from drinking, but if we can at least direct them towards pro- products with lower alcohol content, um, it, it might be a good thing. Well, especially as you referenced earlier off the top, if we know now, well, we didn't know before that it has uh, effects, long-term effects on brain development. That's a big deal. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, it is, definitely. Dr. Catherine Paradis, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Have a nice day. You too. Dr. Paradis is from the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction. I remember going to a party just quickly here uh, in when we were teenagers, 16-ish, and I don't know where they got it, but someone brought Everclear. Oh, my gosh. Grain alcohol, which is either... 75.5 or 95% depending on what you get and they I think two of the girls there one of the girls did I think two shots and that was all she had and by the within half an hour lights were on but no one was home motor skills were gone couldn't speak she had checked out man it was scary yeah well this is this is why I think this answers the question as to why they keep doing these studies and doing this research. It seems, you know, every time these come out, you ask the question right off the bat, why do we continue to do this? I think uh, Dr. Paradis had a very good reason, a very good answer to that question. And the conversation is difficult, but you know what? Putting your head in the sand is the wrong strategy. We have to educate our kids so that they know what they're getting themselves into. Because just remember when you were a kid, the things that you were up to, our kids are going to be doing exactly the same thing. And I think they deserve the benefit of our experience and having those discussions.
There's quite a scandal going on right now involving one of Canada's hockey teams, Brett. Uh, the Ottawa Sun has reported this. I got this last night, this shocking story, that Melinda Carlson, who is the wife of Captain Eric Carlson, has sought an order of protection against not a fan, not a stalker, but the girlfriend of one of the team's players. To tell us exactly what's going on, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Don Brennan from the Ottawa Sun, who has written a piece today. The headline reads, Brennan, senators will suffer greatly until truth comes out in the Carlson Hoffman story. Mr. Brennan, good morning and welcome to you, sir. Oh, good morning. How are you doing? Doing not, very well. Not doing bad at all. The first line of your story, just when it looked like the senator's season from hell was mercifully over, things took an unbelievable turn for the worst, and unbelievable just scratches the surface on this story. Uh, Don, can you uh, share it with us here in Winnipeg, please? Yeah, it's something that, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, this is a made-for-TV movie. This is something that you could never expect to, to happen, but yeah, the uh, the wife of Eric Carlson, Melinda Carlson, is uh, a has sought the uh, the order uh, the the protection with the peace bond from uh, Melinda Carrick, the, the girlfriend or the fiance of Mike Hoffman, claiming that she has uh, uttered over a thousand uh, derogatory remarks since November the seventeenth, and she is uh, uh, guilty of cyberbullying and saying such things as. I hope your baby dies. I hope you die. And I hope somebody takes out your husband, Eric Carlson's legs and ends his career. So it's a, it's a real unique case. I don't know that there's been anything ever like this that, that I can remember in any team sports uh, to this extent, uh, a, a, a divide that is, um, you know, affecting uh, obviously the, 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 the wives of the players, but also the players and also the team. It's a real travesty. And it's, as I said, it's a season that has been just one thing after another. It's just completely a, a become a joke here with the Ottawa Senators. No, have Eric Carlson and Mike Hoffman confronted each other on this at all? Uh, I was told that, yes, they, they, there was a confrontation in the parking lot uh, at the uh, end of the season. Um, and uh, not a not a violent one, but uh, you know Eric Carlson explaining or, or saying their beliefs and their making their accusations and saying that they they thought it was his uh, fiance and Eric, Mike Hoffman. I talked to him yesterday, and he vehemently denies uh, anything to do with this, and that his girlfriend has anything to do with this. So we're gonna we're gonna see in the coming days who was right. There's a police investigation going on now. And uh, it's it's surely going to carry on for some time, and it's surely going to be hanging over the senators uh, for a while. Now, the the comments uh, are in black and white or in living color for, for many to see because a, a lot of them were made on Twitter or on Instagram. And so the fact that these insults and these incredibly uh, divisive and uh, very, very derogatory comments exist isn't in questions about where they originate. Right. Yes. And, uh, and, and I mean, again, they're, they're accusing, uh, uh, Monica uh, Carrick Hoffman's fiance of, of sending these out and, and why it's hard to believe, but it's, it's hard to understand why anybody or how anybody would do something like this. This is not a little uh, disagreement between, uh, girls, uh, whose white husband's playing the same hockey team. This is very, very serious stuff. So the, the, the piece, Bond has been ordered or requested. 
in if the in the event that uh, Carrick uh, does not adhere to that, uh, what could happen? Well, again, there's a criminal investigation. There's a police investigation going on, and uh, the Carlsons. Um, I mean, for one thing, the justice of the peace doesn't hand out a peace bond just like it's a piece of candy. It's there had to be some. Uh, proof that was presented uh, in order to get something like this done. So, um, yeah, if, if, you know, if Carrick is found guilty of this, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a serious uh, crime. I don't know the, the punishable, uh, the, how it's punished exactly. But, uh, and on the other hand, if, if it proves that it's not her, then um, Melinda Melinda Carlson's in big trouble because that's serious defamation right there. Well, and for there may be people in Winnipeg who don't know the one comment that that is beyond uh, beyond disgusting, if I may use that word, has to do with uh, harm and, and wishing harm not only on Melinda Carlson but on uh, their, the the Carlson's unborn baby, who was of course uh, stillborn. Not a lot of people uh, may necessarily know that story in this market. So uh, right. a, a triple tragedy to a certain extent here, Don. Yeah, the Carlsons were very excited about their uh, the arrival of their son, um, Axel, they had named him, and uh, he was, uh, about a month before he was scheduled to be born, uh, he, he was stillborn, and it was a tragic, tragic thing. I mean, Carlson had shared everything uh, with fans and the public in terms of what they were going through and their excitement and everything like that. And, and when the baby died, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a terrible thing for him and for the obviously for his wife and and he stepped away from the team for a while and uh, you know he's they're working at put, putting the pieces back together but uh, just a, yeah it was it was just a, a, a terrible thing the baby died on March the nineteenth and uh, the uh, peace bond was uh, delivered or or presented on uh, May the fourth. You mentioned that it's the senator's season from hell prior to this saga what kinds of things made it the season from hell it started i i would say it started on uh july the first the opening of free agency last less than a year ago when uh, daniel alfredson uh inexplicably walked away from the team daniel alfredson's a hero in this town and he was being groomed for a, a position in management with the team and uh you know, Carlson had left once before as a player, a free agent, uh, to go to the Detroit Red Wings for a season. And, you know, that was a, a big blow to the community because of, of his status. And uh, his return was, was greeted as you would expect. Everybody was excited to have him back in the organization. Um, he used the excuse that he wanted to spend some time with his family, but his, his family lives here in Ottawa, and uh, he's remained involved while he was uh, – Learning the the ropes, uh, you would say the last couple of years. So um, everybody, or most of, are led to believe it's a disagreement with the direction of the team and and with owner uh, Eugene Melnick. So um, that that was the beginning of it. Uh, but uh, I mean, you know, there was the drop in in uh, from being uh, within one goal of the Stanley Cup Finals last spring to 30th place in the NHL. Uh, this year, there was uh, lots of stuff to do with Eugene Melnick, who uh, in December on the eve of the uh, outdoor game here, uh, threatened to relocate the franchise if uh, the tenants didn't pick up. And uh, then there was uh, the sudden and uh, still unexplained departure of Tom Anselmi, who he had hired as the president and CEO 
um, to, you know, organize the uh, development of the new arena downtown. And all of a sudden, Anselmi's disappeared without explanation. And uh, Melnick decided to take over the roles as CEO and president himself, which wasn't a very popular decision because of the, the growing resentment towards him. There's been uh, fans that have... Uh, raised money uh, in a GoFundMe program to uh, erect billboards, Melnick out around Ottawa. There's, uh, you know, there, it's just one thing after uh, another <laughs> here. And uh, it just doesn't, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. The thing that you have to, you have to know here is that the senators are trying to trade Mike Hoffman. And, you know, the, 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 the reason, the hockey reasons are that he's a one-dimensional player. Now, granted, a very good at that dimension in scoring and his skating and his offense. But they see him as a one-dimensional player who is making, you know, $5 million a year for the next two seasons, uh, which is pretty much too expensive for a team like them that is rebuilding. Um, so they're trying to deal him. And in the meantime, Eric Carlson's contract uh, is, well, has one year left on him, but as of July the 1st, they can offer him uh, an extension. It's believed that they're not going to offer him enough, and uh, Carlson doesn't like the direction the team is going either, him being a close friend of Daniel Albertson, and that he's going to uh, turn this contract down, in which case they're going to have to trade Eric Carlson as well. Now, until this comes out, the truth comes out of this, I have a hard time believing that they'll be able to trade either one of them, because... You know, if if um, if Monica um, Hoffman's fiance is guilty of this, well, who wants that in their dressing room? Who wants a, a wife capable of such things on on their team, part of their family? And if Carlson's wife is not telling the truth, uh, who is going to want to trade for um, uh, Eric Carlson? Because Melinda, I mean, that's a dangerous thing. Don Brennan from the Ottawa Sun. You want to read more on this? The headline, Senators will suffer greatly until truth comes out in the Carlson Hoffman story. Once again, Don Brennan from the Ottawa Sun. Delightful music. I'm guessing it is of Filipino origin. Yes, it is. That's Carinosa. Delightful. Filipino culture on display being celebrated as we speak because we are in the midst of Philippine Heritage Week. The event kicked off last week with flag raising at City Hall. It runs until this Friday. There are more festivities in the coming days, including the Philippine Independence Ball. And uh, we're joined now to learn more live on 680 CJOB by Perla Havate, president of the Philippine Heritage Council of Manitoba. Perla, good morning to you. Good morning. So... This has been a big week for you folks. Yesterday, it correct me if I'm wrong, but yesterday was Philippine Independence Day? Yeah, Philippine Independence Day, and actually we celebrated uh, the day uh, through a cultural sharing event. Uh, we uh, focused on sharing it with the Chinese community, and uh, it was a great evening of uh, sharing history, sharing dance and uh, music and food. Um, I guess part of our heritage is also being Canadians. So we incorporate uh, cultural sharing as very much part of our celebration. Um, we will have the Philippine Independence Ball uh, coming Friday, and that's when we celebrated uh, 
you know, really big and sharing it with the whole community. And she's really well attended by about 400 uh, folks from Winnipeg, including a lot of our government officials, the cross-section of the community, and we showcase uh, the talents of uh, our community. Perla, it's no secret that the Filipino community is a huge proportion of our population here in Winnipeg, and Filipino culture is becoming Winnipeg culture and vice versa, I would suggest. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they're, they're interchangeable. Uh, Filipinos are very, I don't want, you know, you hate to overgeneralize, but so proud of where they're from, and whether it be the right. Philippines or whether it be Winnipeg, very proud Winnipeggers as part of uh, the, the the Filipino community, fair to say? That's true. Um, I guess uh, wherever you go in Winnipeg, uh, you'll see Filipinos or you'll hear them speaking <laughs> the language. We're number two in terms of the most used language. And uh, I think we're doing this because for our young people, for children and youth, so that uh, they won't forget uh, their roots. And uh, for most of us who are immigrants, we are clear of our, our identity is very clear with us because we all came from the Philippines. But our children who are born here, and we're looking at our fourth and fifth generation now because next year it will be our 60th year as a community. So uh, we have a lot of children who were born here already, and we have to continuously celebrate uh, who we are so that way they will also feel the same pride as we have, at the same time being proud also of being Canadians. What is it about Winnipeg that has made this city have one of the, the world's largest Filipino populations <laughs> outside of the Philippines? Well, uh, except for the weather, I guess the friendly atmosphere here in Winnipeg, uh, the first wave of immigrants that came in the 60s and 70s, um, sort of set the tone for the whole community. Uh, they're welcoming, they're, uh, they've sponsored a lot of family members, and it rippled off through the years. Uh, and now we're having a lot of the skilled and professionals coming from the Philippines. They've heard a lot about Winnipeg already by now, so... We're getting them at this point in time when there's been changes in immigration uh, policies. Um, it's really a very vibrant community. Uh, if you can imagine, there's 40 different groups in our community, each one wanting to celebrate uh, their, uh, uh, I guess, the region where they came from. They want to celebrate the profession that uh, they belong to. They celebrate because of their religious affiliation, all different kinds of uh, reasons to celebrate. We love to party. <laughs> <laughs> well, and nobody throws a, a social occasion better than uh, those in, in, in the Filipino community. I can attest to that. Uh -huh. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history lesson before we let you go here, Perla. Filipino uh, independence. Independence from whom and when? Okay. Um, we were under Spanish rule for 300 years. This was in the 1800s. 
And so we were liberated from them after 300 years. And after them, I mean, a series of other countries have conquered the Philippines. And we finally got our independence in uh, 18, uh, I don't know the exact year, but um, we had uh, a temporary government at that time. We also got our independence from the United States in 1945, but that's the second time that we were uh, completely free and, uh, you know, declared ourselves as really independent. Um, we have uh, really, we have to stop and reflect on the sacrifices of our ancestors uh, that sacrificed uh, their lives to free us from being, uh, you know, dominated in our own land <laughs> for so long. Perla, wanted to ask you about this, and uh, I hope this isn't a rude question, but it's just something I've always been genuinely curious about. Okay. What, the Philippines, you spell that with a P-H. P-H-I-L-I-P-P-I-N-E-S. But Filipino is spelled with an F. F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O-S, yes. And if you ask the language, it's also Filipino language with an F. So why the difference? Why is one spelled with a PH and the other with an F? Do you know? Uh, the Philippines is actually uh, more the Englishized version. Well, actually, it's a ba it's uh, from King Philip. Philippines was uh, uh, oh, okay. the from King Philip. Oh. So, <laughs> Boy, That's oh boy, that, that I know of. didn't and get so, more simpler than that, <laughs> that, you know, right in front of our faces here, that part of history. Well, never mind, we were also uh, confused in terms of uh, the language, because a lot of people would say uh, our language is Tagalog. Actually, Tagalog is a, is a dialect, one of the 81 different dialects we have in the Philippines. And so um, Tagalog is uh, where our Filipino language is based. So and the, it's called, the language now is called Filipino. The official language is Filipino language. Okay. Yeah, so out of the 81, they picked Tagalog as uh, the base for our Filipino language. So, we, <laughs> well, before we let you go, what, uh, just very quickly, tell us what else you have planned for the rest of the week. Well, tonight uh, we're having a showcase of... Uh, uh, the Filipino classes that's being offered by the Manitoba Association of Filipino Teachers. It will be held at the Philippine Canadian uh, Center of Manitoba. It's a free, uh, you know, you can all, everyone is welcome to help to participate in this uh, gathering. And uh, there will be uh, entertainment and there will also be food at the end of it. Tomorrow, as part of uh, our uh, our being Filipinos, uh, the Philippines being one of the largest, if not the only Christian nation in Asia, we celebrate our faith. So there's celebration of faith where uh, we have different uh, denominations participate in sort of celebration. It's not a religious uh, gathering. It's just singing together and uh, um readings from the scripture and offering uh, uh, wishes for our country, Canada, our province, and uh, Winnipeg. 
So that's uh, the last event we have before the Independence Ball. We usually have a picnic in the park to wind up everything, but we decided to hold it on August 25th because we will also welcome newcomers at that picnic in the park where we welcome everyone, well, Perla, all the newcomers, Perla, regardless of where they come from. We will uh, get together with you before that event, August 25th, did you say? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, we'll keep in touch, and uh, this is a, a fantastic week. We appreciate you spending a little bit and sharing a little bit about it with us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, Perla Habate, President of the Philippine Heritage Council of Manitoba. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal, and thank you for listening to CJOB. And